Welcome to the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Oliver Jones, and my able co-host, Ed Stevens. This conversation is with Renee Elliott. Renee grew up a country girl in Mississippi, but fell in love with an Englishman on a night bus and moved to the UK. She brought with her not only an unshakable self-belief and a drive to find meaning and purpose in life, but also a concern for food provenance after a horrifying visit to a meat farm back in the US. This led her to found Planet Organic in 1994 and opened the UK's first all-organic supermarket in Notting Hill the following year. This is the story of that journey and ultimately how a conscious awareness for her own life and those close to her led her to step away from the company in 2013 and embark on a new challenge with Beluga Bean, a mentoring and personal development programme for both business and life skills. So without further ado, we're delighted to bring you Renee Elliott. We're here with Renee Elliott, founder of Planet Organic. Thank you very much for coming in. Thank you for having me. We cannot wait to dive into Planet <laughs> Organic, but before I do, we'd like to give our listeners some context about how your um, story came about, how it began. So what were you doing before you started Planet Organic? Well, I never had any idea what I wanted to do, so that was a problem. And I went to university as an English major, because that's what you do, liberal arts, and then came to England because I thought, well, I can spend a couple of years here before I figure out what I'm going to do. And I'd met a guy on a night bus the year before oh. that I thought maybe not a holiday romance. He hates when I retell this story for the millionth time. <laughs> but I came over to date him. I thought, I'll come, we can date for two years, then I'll go back and start my life. And um, so I got a job as a journalist. I worked on magazines and I worked for a wine magazine. So I became a professional wine taster. And it was a fun and interesting thing to learn about. I thought it's a good skill to have, <clears throat> particularly as an American, because I were just not that well educated about wine in the same way as y'all are having Europe on your doorstep. So that was fun. And I realized, though, on my first day at work, this is so funny. So it was September 1st, 1986. It's engraved in my memory. First real full-time job. I'd worked bartending and, uh, not bartending, <laughs> waitressing and waiting tables when I was at uni. So I turned up at work and whatever you think about Americans, we're quite optimistic and idealistic. So I sit down at my desk and I'm thinking, oh, the world's my oyster. My life is stretching ahead of me. Monday morning, the guy next to me looks at me and says, can't wait till Friday. Mm. And I thought, oh, my God, I'll be dead in five years if I don't love what I do. I'm a passionate person. So I decided on my first day at work in England that I had to love what I do. And I decided very quickly after that, working for the editor and other people in the office, that I should probably have my own company because I hate being told what to do. <laughs> and I know we all do to a degree, but I really, really bugs me. I think maybe because I'm the youngest of four kids and I used to get bossed around. So I worked in the wine trade until 1990, and then did a stint in America, very going very deeply into personal discovery work, which has inf informed my life going forward. And then while I was in the States, saw an organic supermarket in Boston that just, I knew that I wanted to do something non-conventional. I, I knew I couldn't sit behind a desk. 
I wanted, I'm really interested in doing, looking for different ways, doing things better, asking why. And that came about from when I was 19. And when I saw this little health food store, because first it was a small store that I used to hang out in, people were on that journey. The shoppers, the people who worked there, the people who started the business. It was about better food. It was about different therapies. You know, they had treatment rooms upstairs with things I'd never heard of then because I didn't come from hippie parents like Gestalt and Reiki and reflexology. And I mm. thought, ooh, what's that? And they had a cafe. And so that's where the idea started. I thought, oh, this fits a lot of criteria for me. And then I went back to Boston, which is where I grew up. And my sister said, go see Bread and Circus, which was an organic supermarket just in the suburbs of Boston. And we, my, my husband and I, the guy from the bus, mm-hmm. <laughs> walked up and down the aisles, 30,000 square foot store. And I turned to him after, at the end and said, oh, I want this. I said, my stomach hurts. I want this really badly. Because it, it just pulled together a lot of strands from my growing up and about food and doing it better and curating an offer that was best quality food. Just on the, the personal discovery side of things, we had another guest a couple of years ago who was, who was brilliant. He'd done a lot of personal discovery and I think that had informed his career from mm. from then on. So what, what did that entail? Because it was a couple of years that you spent. It was six months. Six months. It felt like a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was amazing. It was about, it was based on a Course in Miracles, which is a beautiful book, um, and a technique called rebirthing, which is a stick of dynamite. But basically, it was about letting go of anything from your past that was holding you back, shifting patterns and thought processes that were holding you back. We have beliefs that doesn't mean they're true. People think they're true. Mm. So it's looking at beliefs in your life that support you and don't support you, and figuring out how to flip them so that they're not holding you back and I I it was a it was an intense course it was amazing and I've met some great friends there my best friend today is a girl I met on that course but I don't know that I would have started my own business if I hadn't done that course I believed in myself um, because of my parents but after I did that I just thought okay this is it I'm doing it you know it was kind of carpe diem Moment. So would you recommend it to, to everyone? It doesn't exist anymore, but I oh. absolutely recommend personal discovery because I think if you don't dip into that in any way and don't question things and live in a way that follows the crowd, mm. that is just not my MO, then it you can get stuck and you can do things that don't make sense or don't make you happy. And I'm always looking at things saying, does this make sense? Why do we do that? Can we do it better? Um, and really asking that question, whereas a lot of people don't. No. And I'm not criticizing for that. It's just that a lot of people don't question. They kind of go with the flow. And I, I, I realized when I was 19 that that could be not the best place for me and can sometimes be dangerous. And mm. I thought, I, I want to be, I don't want to be a sheep. I want to lead. But it's arguably the fight for your life, isn't it? Because to get to the end of your life thinking, I was obsessed or hung up on this one thing I was reacting to, whether it be money or proving people wrong, and you think, with the best world in the world, I don't know how successful I've become, I've been living somebody else's blueprint. Do you think that was the, I guess what I'm interested about self-discovery is, do you think that was the one most sort of seismic event or in life 
since then have you gone through kind of oh. iterations of the same sort of thing? Interesting question. I've obviously done other interviews and I've been asked this question before, so I have looked back on my life and thought, what, what was the moment or what was the reason that I took some of the decisions I did and the path I did? When I was 19, I read a book called Diet for a Small Planet by Francis Moore LePay, which was about the horrors of the meat industry in America. Mm. And as a trusting, naive, innocent 19-year-old who grew up in rural America, I was so horrified that meat, that I could no longer see meat as healthy because of the way they fed the cattle, barned the cattle, raised the cattle, killed the cattle, that I became a vegetarian. And I was so horrified that no one was looking after my best interest. I thought that if the meat was for sale mm -hmm. in the supermarket, then it was good for me. And when I read the detail of how it was farmed, I no longer saw it as good for me. So that was seismic for me. I thought, oh my gosh, there's it's not the innocent world I thought it was when I was a kid. You know, we all have that kind of awakening. Um, but I went, so then that sent me on a search for people who were looking for better and, you know, whether it's hippies or mm. new agers or whatever it was, and those kind of, that ways of thinking, and that led me to the course. And the course was very much about, you don't have to be at the effect of anything, the effect of family, something that happened to you or something that comes into your life, you have the power to change it either with your thinking or your actions. So that it was also seismic for me. It was pivotal because it gave me. So, for example, when my husband asked me to marry him. On a bus? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the guy from the bus. So I, I, said, I just need to clarify this. Stuff. Was this a bus in England or a bus in America? It was a night bus on Lower Regent Street. OK, they, there's a lot of activity on those night buses, lots of rowdiness and, and people chatting. <laughs> this and was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> so when he asked me to marry him, by the time he asked me, we'd been together for a while, I can't remember how long, and I could already see patterns of behavior that I didn't like and that I'd seen in other adult relationships. And I thought, I am not doing that. So I said, no, I don't want to be fighting about you throwing your socks on the floor or whatever stupid thing it was when I was in my 20s. And so we did a weekend with this organization. And what I realized at the end of that weekend was it, it gave us a toolkit to mm. not do those things, to find our way through those things and not keep repeating the same stupid arguments, behavior. So at the end of that weekend, I said to him, I'll marry you. And then we got married and then we did the six month program together. And when we went to do it, they said, we've never had a married couple do the six month program and come out married on the other side. Wow. I looked at him, could we be married a few months? I looked at him and said, well, better we find out now <laughs> than in 10 years. Is that because people could be being married for the wrong reasons to sort well, of fill parts of- I think it's lack of consciousness. And it's a word I don't use lightly because a lot of people may not understand what I mean by that, but it's awareness, self-awareness, Yeah. you know, having your eyes open being thoughtful. It's so difficult because if you do the work on yourself, like codependent relationships in a way are fantastic because yeah. people don't realize they're in them. You have this horrible part yes. of you that's filled up and, and made good. And then actually if you solve that, then you realize what you should be is two independent bodies getting along yeah. famously and respecting each other's boundaries. Yeah. But when you don't realize that's what happens, you unfortunately, um, yeah, there's nothing quite like Find it. Find yourself in a tricky spot. <laughs> that's an amazing way. But, but, but then maybe with something as serious as marriage, which can have such catastrophic consequences that um, some sense Good checks. consequences too. It can have some great consequences, I'm sure. Yeah, but but it, it, it's 
you know, it's yeah. become a bit jaded in our generation now, mm. people being wary about the statistics. Mm. But I think maybe that's sort of being a bit too passive about it. And what you've done is taken a proactive step to do it make it functional. To yeah. make it better. And yeah. presumably you keep referring back to that toolkit that we you developed do. then. Yeah, we do. And, and the main premise that they taught was you are 100% responsible. Mm. So there's no pointing the finger. There's no blame. There's no... Because when you're in a relationship and you're not happy, you look at the person closest to you often mm. and you hang it on them. It must be their fault. Mm. Well, it isn't. You've got to self-refer. Yeah. And when you have children, good Lord, that comes more into force. You can't look at your kids and why are they being irritating? You have to look at yourself. Why am I irritated? It's about taking 100% responsibility, which isn't about beating yourself up. It's about saying, what's my part in this? Which isn't when they first expressed this idea, it was like, wait, what? Now it's second nature to me and I'm teaching my children that they've, they've always been, that's always been explained to them. But it's not, it's new for a lot of people to think that. Mm. I think we get derivatives as well. We get like bumper sticker phrases. <laughs> people go self-love and self-love doesn't mean a really nice holiday to somewhere expensive to take <laughs> Instagram photos. And then owning your shit is not something you just say to somebody when you don't really like yeah. the way the argument's going. Yes. It's like, it's, it's a bit more complicated than that. Yes. So how did, how did Planet Organic get started? Yeah, I was going to say we've gone way mm. off track. <laughs> I think it's important uh, part of the story by the sounds mm. of it. Yeah. So I saw this bread and circus in outside of Boston and loved it. And I came back to England to get experience because I thought, I know that I want to do this and I'm a risk taker, but I'm not insane. So I worked, <laughs> at, a, I worked at Wild Oats. I went, I went to what was the largest health food store in London and said, can I... I want to open, I said, I want to open a chain of organic supermarkets like Bread and Circus. The owner said, oh, yeah, I know those beautiful, fantastic. I said, can I come work for you and learn about the business? And he said, yes. And I started at £3.50 an hour, mm -hmm. stacking shelves, and learned very quickly. For the first time in my life, I felt like I was in the right place, doing the right thing. I thought, this is it. I just, things clicked into place. I loved all of it. And I'm a detail person. I'm quite orderly in the, the layouts and the, oh God, just all of it. I just loved it. And I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this. So then I, and I managed that store for a couple of years. So I got to know the business and the suppliers and or started to learn about organic for the first time. And then um, set out to open started working on Planet full-time in the fall of 94. And what I realized after opening Planet is running a shop had, was nothing like running a business. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I got this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. But every entrepreneur knows that. You think, you know, you have to learn everything. You have to yeah. know everything. You have to be very fluid. And so the first step was to open a, a brick and mortar store. Yes. And you did that on your own. No, I had a business partner at okay. the time. So I we paired up. He had the same idea. He'd seen it on the west coast of America. And we worked together for a year setting it up. And then we opened in November 95. Did you raise money to do that? Yes. We raised but half a million. In, in equity or, or debt for the... It was preference shares that were that could convert. Okay. And but was it was really hard to raise money. Yeah, we always say it was a tough sell. Yeah. In those days, yeah. And we had this really cute little business plan, but it was, you know, it was... It was 20 years too early. It, it was, it. yeah. And people just didn't really know what we were talking about. It, it was it was a concept beyond where 
the market was. So it was nearly impossible to raise the money. And it's not like today, I'm not saying it's easy today, but there's a lot more opportunity. Yeah. Um, in the end, it was my, my parents invested some, my best girlfriend, Julia. And then it was uh, f friends and family of my business partner who was very well connected. Right. Wow. I was not as an American who moved here. Yeah. Was um, EIS around then? No, I don't think so. I no, and no, was certainly talking about it that I remember. Right. Yeah. So you didn't didn't manage to leverage that? No, I don't yeah. think so. And in terms of picking location, was it just what was available? Or did you have a set mind well, of where this? Because Notting Hill, for instance, if you go to Notting Hill, it's very um, sort of Portobello Market, Bohemian. It, it would almost suit there immediately, but I imagine you don't get the luxury of wherever you wanted to be. We didn't have a lot of choice and we wanted big. So the shop on Westbourne Grove that we landed on is five and a half thousand square feet. But that end of Westbourne Grove was, it's not the nice end now, it was much worse then. And at least one investor pulled out when we signed that unit. He said, no way, <laughs> not there. But we had to be off pitch because we, mm. we didn't think we'd make the margin, the profit to pay high street rents, which we don't, you know, we're still not on the high street, we're yeah. off pitch mm. ish. And so how was that that first year? Oh, it was <laughs> it was a roller coaster. So my husband, Brian, who'd been very interested in the business, I had wanted to work with him, but we needed his income. So and he was in commercial property, so he was, you know, interested in that side. But very interested in, in the running of the business. And I would always go home and talk to him about it. So November, we started trading. It was awful. We didn't do any advertising because I just read Anita Roddick's book, Body and Soul, and she didn't do any advertising. And I thought, yeah, I don't really believe in advertising, so I'm not going to do that. Well, no one knew we were there. And then in December, my husband, who I really talked to a lot about business, went to um, Zimbabwe for a month with my brother and a friend. So he wasn't even there. And we had all the bills come in. So the the credit we'd had on the opening stock, the bill came in, the final contractor's bill came in. When I'd done the course on how to start a business, I missed the bit that said you should have a month's wages <laughs> <laughs> for your team, which we didn't have. Mm -hmm. So in December, and I was doing the accounting at that point because the accountant hadn't turned up. And I can do numbers, but it's not my joy. Yeah. We had to either pay the team or pay the suppliers. So it was really uncomfortable. So the contractor held off. The suppliers gave us extended credit. And the industry is amazing and really was so supportive and has been forever. And then we started talking to, we knew we had a great story to tell. And in those days, this is so funny because I tell my kids, there wasn't the internet. It was just starting publicly. Mm -hmm. And my kids say, you started Planet in the olden days? <laughs> <laughs> Everything was yes. black and white. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we printed letters and <laughs> sent them off. You know, people were just starting to use email. So marketing and all of that was very different. And we knew we had a really great story to tell. I didn't want to advertise, but we wanted to tell our story. But how were we supposed to reach people? It was print media in those days. Mm. So we talked to a PR company in December who started working for us that January to tell the story. Mm. And what happened was they kicked into gear in January, and then in February it was the first big BSE scare. It was mad cow disease. Right. Wow. And that's what we needed. Right. We needed people to wake up and think about how their food was being grown and what might be wrong with that process and how organic offered a safe alternative. So the 
the press kicked in then, um, our sales jumped and then just took off. And then later that year, there was the E. coli scare. Mm -hmm. It was when Edwina Curry was in office. Mm -hmm. And our sales jumped again. So by the end of our first year, we did 1.2 million. Wow. And that doubled our second year to 2.4 out of the one store. And we were then just racing after this galloping horse. That's how it felt, trying to figure out how to wow. <laughs> run a business. Amazing. And, and so going to suppliers, was it easy to find suppliers of organic produce Maybe I'm making it sound like it was too long ago, but was it was it readily available and easy it to source? It wasn't readily available. So when we opened, the goal was an organic supermarket. And I think when we opened, we were probably 50% natural, 50% mm. organic. We had a very strict product standard on what we defined as natural. What is, so what is the difference? Organic is a system of agriculture that grows without chemical inputs. Yeah. And the premise is healthy soil, healthy plants, healthy animals, healthy people natural is sort of the health food stuff. Okay. So whole grain, less sugar, less no additives, no, because at that time, food was full of hydrogenated fat, artificial sweeteners, artificial flavor, flavor enhancers, yeah. preservatives, mm. everything artificial. The, you know, the food has really changed over these years. Um, but when we opened, I remember some of the shelves I had like 20 facings of one product because there wasn't enough product to fill the store. And we were, as I said, 50-50 on organic. But a couple of the really savvy importers saw the opportunity and started importing a lot of organic stuff. And we just, we took anything then, really. Obviously, over time, we became much more choosy, but it almost didn't matter what it tasted like or looked like <laughs> because we had to fill the shelves and we yeah. were... We, we wanted to offer better, better everything. But we also opened with an organic meat counter with three butchers. We took in whole carcass and butchered down to sausages. You know, even though I was vegetarian, it was about offering better, because I thought if we don't sell organic meat, we're in a way supporting conventional meat, which I don't really believe in. We had a wet fish counter sustainably caught, and we had very strict guidelines around what we would sell and wouldn't sell. Cool. The business has evolved since then, but we, you know, and now there's, and we had the first organic juice bar, and we first to sell organic wheatgrass juice, and. What were the the, the products that flew off the shelves in the early days? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> so it wasn't anything. Did you ever of... think you ever walk in and think, "Oh my God, we have a lot of wheat germ," <laughs> for example? <laughs> <laughs> it's like three aisles. No, we, no. I mean, when we first opened, it was a mess, and I remember we had tons of pasta like spread everywhere but we've we've had thousands of products because we did health and body care as well so all the natural remedies because you know it's about not going for medicines yeah. drugs going for healthy different remedies and from bark flower remedies to homeopathy to vitamins and supplements and herbs and and so i think when we opened we had about seven thousand products i think now we have okay. about nine so it was a lot there was and when people, I remember when shareholders were coming in later, they'd say, well, what are your 20 bestsellers? And there, it wasn't 20 bestsellers. It was there were a lot of products that sold a fair amount, but it, it's not like that. It's mm. there's, a, there's a high turnover of a lot of products. Mm. Well, what's quite interesting with Planet Organic is, to the point you just made, I imagine people would go in there under the ethos that it's good produce and therefore could do the whole shop. Well, that store. was the point. Yeah. The point was exactly that, which I didn't say. It was our goal was to be a one-stop shop. 
and it was trolley shopping. Yeah. And it had to, that's why I wanted one level. So you went in and you got a trolley, which I hadn't seen in a health food store until then. You got your trolley and you could buy everything. So we had everything you would find in a other like supermarket, mm. but it was organic or natural and it was the best quality. And we had the juice bar and health and body care, which supermarkets weren't doing then either. And so then it, it continues to grow year on year, or you, you, how did you start to sort of choose your second, third location, and do you think, actually, we're smashing this? And Well, after two years, my partner decided that I should leave the business, okay. and that led us down an unpleasant legal battle. Um, Obviously, I won because I'm sitting here. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> and and then when I did win, I said to my husband, please come and work with me. So Brian and I ran the business cool. for a long time. We ran it together for 10 years, Amazing. sitting desk to desk. Um, and, and what's interesting about Planet is its values-led and commercially driven is what I've always said. And it was my goal to prove that that could work. And he was really the commercial side and I was the value. So it was an interesting relationship and tension because there is a tension between those two not a bad in a bad way but you're always balancing and weighing that up and did your, your toolkit your personal development discovery toolkit come into oh, yes come into play there <laughs> yes. as well yes. and presumably not just between each other Absolutely. but with, with the other people in the yes. business yeah. yeah no that's a really good point so i did when i was starting planet i remember um, my mom who hadn't really worked she worked before she started having kids, and then in those days it was more normal not to work anyway. But when I was starting Planet, she said, are you worried about being a woman in a very male world? And I said, yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't really thought about it. And she said, well, she said, be feminine. She mm. said, don't be shy of that. I don't know how she knew that, but she that was so wise. And I decided that being feminine really informed how I wanted to create a business that was values-led, that was thoughtful and kind. And that informed how we treated the team, how we set up the training, how we spoke to each other. And I said from the beginning, we, speed each, we treat each other with respect because organic is based on respect for the soil and the plant and the animal and the person. And I thought it just makes sense then that we're embracing that value, which is really important to me in how we, in our MO. So we had our values in through our product in terms of the product standard, what we would sell. And then we had values in terms of how we ran the business and how we talked to people, how we treated people. Were there any key times where you, you'd have genuine disputes about commercial interests versus keeping to those ethics? Yes, I mean, because it's, it's still, a, it's still a, a, a problem we haven't solved to this day, people still haven't worked out where the lines between what's impactful, ethical, and what's profitable exist, other than to defer yes. it and throw cash at you know planting trees somewhere to offset the terrible things you might be doing with your, <laughs> you know, <coughs> uh, with the business right at its core. Because also you're then held to that standard by external observers, mm -hmm. and people are are waiting in the wings to point a finger at you and say, "But you said you're." Good. Absolutely, and I think more so in England because I felt like in England uh, they wanted to put us on a pedestal when we said we're doing all this good, you know, we're good people, we're trying to do good, we're trying to make positive change. And then if they can find a chink, they'll <laughs> knock you off <laughs> and an kill you, yeah. <laughs> kick you. Mm. So it was tricky then. And it was almost better to not say you were trying to do a good thing because you kind of set yourself up to be shot at. But I, 
I mentor new businesses, and my business plan template starts with values. A lot of business plans start with financials, and I think, how can you start there when you don't know what you're doing? Mm. So we start with values, and that's what I did at Planet, so that whenever we were faced with a difficult commercial decision, you'd, we'd go back to the values, because that's your yardstick. That's, you know, what are we going to do in this situation? Because you're always hit with difficult decisions and unexpected challenges where you think, oh, gosh, what do we do in this situation? We didn't see this coming. And then you go back to your values and you say, well, what's the right decision based on that? And within the structure you've created, it, you touched on a really interesting point, which was your mom saying to be more feminine. Did that work in, in discussions with investors and other parties? Because I think we fall victim of this situation where female empowerment can sometimes be in the form of sort of patriarchal hierarchy, but as adopted by a female rather than actually moving the other way and, and seeing feminine qualities as a strength, for instance. You know, it's like actually what we need to do is, is be more male than the males or, or something like that. And it's like, it becomes quite disparaging of the role of a sort of feminine presence in the workplace. And so you you saying that that, that worked and was rewarded and... and mm. I think it's important to be who you are. Yeah. So I did I did take that on board for my mom and thought, well, it's who I am. And I'm, I'm very um, open and I'm very honest. And I thought I can't pretend to be something I'm not, you know, mm. and I never do anything by halves. So it was being a woman and being feminine and kind of working that in, the, in a nice way. You know, as you're saying, it wasn't about trying to adopt qualities that people may associate with business that are harder it was just being a woman can you see how it falls out of line as well because sometimes i find it interesting working with startups that there's the sort of u.s male exec archetype the the you know fortune 500 ceo big presence almost like a donald trump-esque mm. figure uh, and what you've seen in britain which i think was interesting is you unearthed this slight culture of of mm, it's not not happy to see people do well but it's a slight sort of sarcasm and and yeah. people shouldn't pedestal themselves too much otherwise they get knocked down and pulled back into the sort of yeah. quagmire um which i think stay must stay in your place a little bit it's a little bit of that which must be interesting transitioning from america to come to the uk where it's like we, we don't play quite by the same systems of mm. um dominance hierarchies we sort of have the class system in there somewhere we have all these other things That's going on and i think sometimes we hear the narrative come from over there and I'm like, it doesn't directly translate to the uk because it, it won't always work that way where we just lord people because they do well and make the most noise and beat their chest. <laughs> what did that that ten year period look like? Where it was you and your husband, and then what happened at the end of, of that? Presumably you expanded quite quickly. And did you move online? Yes, we did. So we opening opening the second store, which happened, I think six months after, or a year after my husband joined Planet, after we took over, was really interesting because I was. By that point, you know, running what was a shop, and it was untangling the shop from head office and setting up all the reporting so that we could then bolt on other stores. And he really did that. I could do that. It's not interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I did all the creative stuff instead. Yeah. Um, so the teamwork worked really well, and he introduced Food to Go. This was in the Torrington Place store. And then we opened more. So this was, we won the company in January 99. So then we expanded over the next few years. And then in 2002, I had a baby, my first baby. And that changed everything. Right, as it tends to. Oh I gosh, yeah, I had no idea. 
So, and I thought, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm a businesswoman, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm bringing her with me. And you can do that with one. So I took her into the, I, my girlfriend at the time wasn't working, so she was helping with Jess. And Julie would bring her in and I'd breastfeed and then she'd wheel her away. And I'd go up to Soil Association meetings in Bristol and Julia would come with me with Jess so I could breastfeed. And I'd mm. sit Jess on the table at board meetings and she'd stare at the guys and, mm. you know, it was great. And I thought, well, this is cool, this works. And then I had a second one three years later. And then you think, okay, I have a three-year-old and an infant. This suddenly doesn't work. So I stepped away from the business a little bit. So Brian was doing more. And I was always there and in and out. And then he was expanding and we were, you know, opening more stores. And then I had a third. (laughs) Mm. And this is now, so I had my third in 2008. And I thought, after a year, I thought, oh, my God, I am so stressed. I'm exhausted. I, as I said, I don't do anything by half. So there's me wanting to be the mother I wanted to be. I had this idea of what that looked like and wanting to run Planet, which was, I always refer to as my first baby. Mm. And I felt ripped in half and it was absolutely awful. And I hit a point where I thought I've got to choose. And I thought my choice is I either hire a nanny to raise my kids or I hire a CEO to run the business and it's an awful choice to make and I don't have you know people make the decisions for what's right for them there's no right or wrong Mm. and I chose my kids because I thought well I've had them I'm not gonna yeah I'm gonna be with them so a CEO came into planet at that time there was a handover period and then my husband left he stepped out of the business I stepped away and I said to him, Let, take a year off. You know, it's been so intense. It was not an easy business, you know, difficult recessions, you know, shareholders, lots of complications, really hard, amazing, but really hard as well. And he said, no. And I said, take a year off. He said, no. And I so pushed and pushed. And finally, he said, OK, I'll take a year off. So I said, OK, great. And then I said, let's take it in Italy, because <laughs> we had this little farmhouse in Tuscany. And he said, no, and this went on. And then I said, look, I I need to get out. I just need to stop and power down. So I said, I'm going. I'm going to buy a car. We didn't have a car in London. Who needs a car? I'm Mm. going to buy a car, put some stuff in a trailer, and go. Are you coming? And he said, "Okay." (laughs) (laughs) So we went to Italy for a year. And we grew food, and we farmed olives, and I was writing a book. And I was back and forth for Planet and the Soil Association. But it was, we just came back to earth again. And it was it was the most beautiful chapter in our lives. And we were together all the time. Wow. The kids went to an Italian school, very small village school. And a year turned into three and a half years. Wow. <laughs> because we, could, we couldn't leave. I didn't want to leave. How so did you leave in the end? He said, Brian said, if I don't go back to work to property now, because he wanted to get back into commercial property. He yeah. said, I don't know if I will. Mm. And his real question was, how do we want to educate the children? Do we want them to be in the Italian system? Do we want to come back and have them? Because they weren't learning English. Yeah. And I was not going to homeschool them. I'm not that person. So I would have loved to have been able to do that. But I thought, I'll kill them. (laughs) 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 I don't have the patience. So, So we said, okay, we want them. You know, I'd love them to learn to know Italian, but I want them to know English is so important. So we moved back and mm-hmm. we moved back mm-hmm. to Forest Row in East Sussex so that they could. Was that a tough decision? 
It was a tough decision. And I have to say, I came back kind of kicking and screaming. And I said to him, I will, I'll give it, I think I said two years. And if I can't do this anymore, we'll have to go somewhere else. And I don't know where else, yeah. maybe back, maybe to America, maybe back to Italy. But I just wasn't having lived in Italy and experienced that completely different culture where I feel really at home. They're very ebullient. They're very effusive, you know, yeah. tactile, you know, they'll yeah. hug you. And I thought, wow, I've missed that. Mm. Um, I wasn't sure about coming back, but I love Forest Row. And after a couple of years, I said, yeah, this is good. It's good because I guess once you start the process of putting your kids first, vis-a-vis -vis stepping stepping away from planet, going to Italy, you, you, your value system is then putting your kids first. So their education comes first and you can defer to that decision-making sort of framework, as it were. Yes. And then did you step back into planet full-time? Or what, what was the... No. So we came back in January 2013. And I went and talked to the CEO. And it was very much... You know, he was running the business mm. by then. And I'd been, four, I was four, involved, four so. but I'd been coming back and forth and meeting with him. And, but it was, you know, I, I didn't really see that happening. Sometimes I'm a bit blinkered, yeah. but obviously that had happened. So I thought, okay, I still do a couple of days a month at Planet then. And I thought, what else would I do? Because I set, I said to people, I set Planet up. When I set it up, I said to f have meaningful work Mm. that I love for the rest of my life. So now I thought, okay, what else? You know, am I done? Mm. Is that it? Is it me and I'm a mom now? <laughs> and, you know, and I thought, okay, now I'm way not done. I have a very strong urge to, as many people do, to contribute, to make a difference, to make it better. So I thought I'll just do work I love. I'll just do what I enjoy and see what happens, which was very different to starting Planet. When I started Planet, I said, I want this. And I painted this very specific, clear vision. And I went for that. And this was, well, let's try a few things and see what happens. So I started teaching healthy baking out of my kitchen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was then asked to teach um, at a college in London, healthy baking. I um, was asked to do a Guardian Masterclass on starting a business. That started me on this route of public speaking. From that, people started to come to me, primarily women at the beginning, and say, will you mentor me? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know. And then someone in, an, in one of my audiences was a publisher from my previous book. And she came to me. Work, she was at a new publishing company. And she said, will you write another book? So I just started doing lots of different things. And I started the mentoring. And then I had this idea. So then we also had Italian girls coming to the house from some of the parents I'd known while we were there. And they said, look, she needs to learn English. But because it's me, they come into the house and they're there to learn English. But I'm teaching them to cook and bake. And then we're talking about, you know, when I said to you about this personal development, then they say, gosh, you speak to your kids. It's really interesting the communication you have. and. I see how you talk with your husband and you all go off and meditate together and they'd ask questions and I thought, wow, they're really keen to learn. And there, some of the girls I was talking to were then going to university and leaving and they were saying, you know, I don't know anything about relationships really and I don't know anything about having a baby and I don't, and I thought, wow, who does? You know, what did you learn at school that informs how you live? So I started to 
formulate this idea of an academy that would teach girls life skills, what I consider life skills, the mm. stuff that's really important, like how to manage your finances and your personal finances and how to um, wean a baby and how to communicate in your relationship with your husband or people you work with or just all those areas of well-being. Because for me, well-being started with planet in terms of food, which is one of the, and for me it's the foundation because if you don't, if you're not well, you can't really do anything or mm. you're limited in what you can do. Yeah. But I'd been developing these six spheres of well-being for those decades and I started to think about teaching those and having this academy so then that was then I thought okay how do I take that to the next step and that is beluga bean right that's beluga bean how did you come up with the name for her <laughs> I found a business partner again um, mm -hmm. a guy called Sam Wigan and he and I were kicking around we decided to work together and we decided that we would start this journey together and we were kicking around names and the the cool names that we could think of were taken <laughs> or didn't seem to quite encompass what we were trying to do so then we thought well we could just pick like a Japanese word or a fruit mm -hmm. or something and I was writing this book that I referenced earlier and I just written about beluga beans beluga lentils which are very very small and pack an incredible nutritional punch and I like full of beans, you know, bean counting. It was kind of the business skills, the life skills. And and I said to him, well, what about beluga bean? It's not really, it's beluga lentil is the thing. Yeah. But I said, what about bean? Because I like alliteration. And mm -hmm. he said, oh, I love it. And then I thought, I'm not sure I love it. I'll, th <laughs> <laughs> I'll think about it. But I really like it. And it doesn't matter. You know, the name yeah. of the company doesn't matter. The yeah. names of the courses that sit in the academy make sense, mm -hmm. like nourish and flourish and balance so those have meaningful names um it's just the umbrella for the and so now how does how does the business business work is it is it still people come to a physical location or is it is it done through sort of online channels it's a mix of things at the moment the the longer term vision is that i would love to have a physical space yeah but we're s still early days so it's a combination of meeting in london we have two breakfasts a month. So it is a business and life skills academy. Mm -hmm. So the business side is the business planning and life skills cover the six spheres of well-being. Would you like me to tell you what they are? Yeah, yeah. please. Yeah. <laughs> Your faces. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's um, physical, which breaks into sleep or rest, movement and food, and then occupational, psychological, economic, social and spiritual. And for me, that covers all the spheres of life and well-being that are important that you don't necessarily learn at school or from your parents. Um, and the business side, as I said, is really the business planning and strategic planning. But in everything that we do at Beluga Bean, it's a whole person process. So when I take someone through the business plan, module by module, when we look at, say we do um, brand, mm there's 50% of it is business and 50% of it is personal discovery. So when we do brand, then we do play. Okay. When we do marketing, then we do communication. So it's a, cause I can't, you know, I'd sit down and be working with men and women on their business plan and then something else would creep in like they wanna have babies or their wife isn't that supportive of what they're doing cause she's really nervous about the, so then we'd go into kind of communication and, and I just can't, I don't look at anyone as, as a narrow 
strand. It's you're a whole person no matter what we're talking about. And people, some of my early clients would say, oh, could we talk about that? Could we talk about me having a baby? And I'd say, of course we can. Yeah, we can talk about anything. Because for me, it's all about the life plan. It's not, there's nothing in isolation. You're, it's about you, your life and how you're living it. Yeah. And so when, when you say that you're doing mentoring, is this what you're referring to? Or so, yeah, sorry, I lost my tr my flow there. So we do two breakfasts a month in London, and those are roundtables with a themed converse topic. So it may be, if it's a personal connect, we call them connects, it could be about parenting, it could be about body image, it could be about exercise. They go across the six spheres of well-being. We do a business connect mm -hmm. breakfast once a month, and that covers mainly subjects through the business plan but could be like the one coming up at the end of this month is workflow. So it's managing projects and flow and prioritizing and all of that. And we meet groups of people and it's a, it's a lovely, it's a conversation. It's about coming with a pinch point or a pain point, finding, unlocking it with a solution and creating momentum and finding inspiration. Mm -hmm. And those are terrific. Then we have one-to-one -one mentoring and I do one-to-one -one mentoring on the business planning um, and then we have classes that are starting in a couple of months that go that are a deeper dive into the six spheres. So there may be one on um, early motherhood. There may be one on bereavement. There's one on home finance. You know, they're all they cover, and it's and we'll be building and creating more courses because if you want to know how to do these things on your own, you know, I didn't mm. leave school with that kind of knowledge. Yeah. Do you think that schools Maybe should, because I know I think my mum said that she did home economics at, at yeah, school. Yeah, I did which, too. Yeah, which maybe sounds a bit outdated now. Yeah, but but some of those skills are really useful. Like if you know how to do, they are life basic, skills. Basic accounting. Yeah. I left school like could do Latin and Greek and and not much else. <laughs> but I think I think the, the the problem was is that it was that which was a useful skill, but then there was also the imprint that you were given that you should come out of that school like a nice. You know, especially boarding schools in the UK, yeah. you come out like a nice fit toy soldier who doesn't necessarily think for themselves in the free sense that you spent mm. so long being conditioned by your uniform, being told off, being this, being that. Like it's, it's I did have stayed somebody from Canada, and all their high school experience was expressing themselves, dressing what clothes they wanted. And I was like, I never had that. Wow. I got up yeah. and I wore my uniform, and if I didn't, like it. It's a troubled yeah. soul now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, to that point, of the people who who come to you, is there a typical misbalance or misalignment of those six values that you often see? No, there is a, it's different from person to person. What mm. I find is people aren't necessarily aware and that's where that's that consciousness I was talking about. They aren't necessarily thinking about say their spiritual well-being or their physical well-being in terms of sleep, even though it's, you know, it's everywhere. If you can, if you have your eyes open and you see that they're books everywhere about sleep now and it's part of the conversation but people the you know people are so busy and the world is moving so fast everything's mm -hmm. moving so fast that sometimes it takes drawing it to someone's attention to say look are you are you exercising are you eating well are you sleeping are you having fun you know are you having are you having fun because some people say oh yeah I have fun with my kids and I say well are you having fun with your husband mm -hmm. uh no mm -hmm. you know and it's, are you, it's just kind of, I, I feel a lot of times it's getting people to just stop. Yeah. And take a breath and 
look at their lives and we have a process that takes people on that journey like to an audit or something yeah it's like it's a very lovely process where you look at all the Not areas like of yes, your life <laughs> Renee is auditing <Not> exactly. you <laughs> <laughs> where we take them on a journey of self-discovery and, and they look at those areas of their life really honestly and then commit to an area that they want to improve because it's not about a quick fix and it's not about saying to someone oh my god you have to do this now mm. and sending people into stress because you know that's the worst thing nothing we do should ever create stress it's about gradual change and an upward spiral of improvement and excellence all the time so that life is getting better and our our tagline is make it better are we being denied some of that introspection by <laughs> The, the influence of technology now, do you think? You're not denied anything that you choose to right. explore. Okay. Yeah, but it's, but, but it's crowding. Or? It's crowding yeah. everyone's time and mind. And I find, you know, one of the things I see now is there are so many people who are talking about being addicted to their phone. Mm. Can't put it down. And not just millennials. I have friends you know, my age, a little bit younger, who are so attached to their phones. And I think, really? I'm not. You know, that yeah. just doesn't happen to me. And I can see all kinds of things in the future where people are going to be trying to break that attachment, put it down. And I'm already seeing that happening, you know, around. But I think it's about if you're moving fast, you're not necessarily going to think about these spheres of well-being. If you stop, and we even say it in business, we have entrepreneurs, new businesses, even like seven-year businesses where people are just what I call rushing headlong, firefighting, and they're not stopping to be strategic. They're not stopping to horizon scan because it feels counterintuitive. And it's like, I can't possibly stop. I have so much to do. But when you stop and pause, you, you then move forward in a much more thoughtful, strategic, creative way. And a lot of what I do is that as well. Mm. And it's exactly what you did when you decided that you were going to step back yes. and move to Italy. And you're obviously happy with how that... The result. That, exactly. Yes. And my husband said it was the best thing he did. He was so terrified to take a yeah. year out. Mm. You know, he thought that would be the end of his career. Mm. And he said it was the best thing he ever did. Hmm. And how, sorry, how did you feel coming back? Because I guess you were so far ahead of, of where the trend came in so to come back in 2013 you said and see this sort of hype of, of all these sort of alternative health foods and this industry grow what was your feelings about that were you like I I'm done with this in the sense that I was of of old or, or this is exciting or this is a bit kind of bull full of bullshit now or you know <laughs> um, I'm always interested in food because I have a real passion for food and I'm still involved with the soil association and now i'm involved with garden organic as well so that remains a real pet project of mine i think it's brilliant i think anything to move people forward into better eating is great mm. so i love the some of the things i've looked at and thought really but in general i think the movement towards better eating people being more aware of what they're eating and why and the impact it has on them is it's just brilliant and i think it's really transforming it's moving much faster than it did before mm. so i think it's great and i do watch it with interest so to close the chapter on on planet organic are you are you, are you still involved at all or have you totally stepped back and is it, did you sell the business so i was 
so I came back and I was kind of two days a month and I'm the brand guardian and spokesperson. I, okay. As I said, I do a lot of public speaking. And then a, last October, a year ago, so about almost a year and a half ago, mm. a VC came in to Planet with a, they bought over 50% mm. and they made a commitment to open two stores a year over the next five years. Wow. And that really changed things. So I'm, I've, I'm exiting yeah. at the moment. Okay. I still have shares in the company and I'm really excited about where Planet's going, but it's in safe hands, it's in new hands. Yeah. And I feel, and it's really, what's really nice for me is it's hard to do two things, mm. you know, and to close the door on that chapter and move my focus completely to beluga bean is just brilliant. Mm -hmm. So your first baby's flown the nest. Yes, and you're I know. Happy with it. Yes, and a girlfriend of mine said, Renee, when Planet was turning 21, she said, it's an adult now, yeah, you can yeah. let go. <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah. <laughs> and those expansion plans, do, do they see it, do you, do you tackle the US? Because that's one thing I think I was gonna ask earlier was whether you'd ever go back into, into sex No, because Whole Foods opened so much so long ago, I can't remember. They opened, I think they'd been running 15, 20 years when I opened wow. Planet Organic. Okay. So they, they've they got the US covered. And you say you're going to the US, we're not going outside the M25. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right. So it's very, you know, we, we haven't saturated London yet. Okay, that's interesting. It was funny, one of my first clients that we fundraised for, and I, I mourn its loss, I don't know if you ever ran Fulham Broadway, but there was something called Union Market. Yes. Do you yeah. remember on the corner and I loved Union Market. It was great. You went there, and it was like a really old shopping experience in the in the old um, ticket hall, I guess, of what Fulham Broadway Station was. Yes. And um, oh, yeah. yeah, try as I may to keep it afloat and, and keep it <laughs> keep it trading, it, it failed. The the landlord had pushed the rent up on it such that they couldn't keep paying. And then, not only did that building stay dormant like a skeleton in my my memory for, for like five years, um, then Whole Foods opened opposite it to you know oh. rapturous. Welcome yeah. and all this stuff. I just thought, oh God, you know. But it, it was the same premise. I mean, it's so similar. Right. And then actually now they have something called the Market Hall, which is sort of a take on Union Market. So, I mean, with them, it was a timing issue. And, and that might have been 2011, 2012. Mm. But yeah. Mm. But yeah, it just, it just couldn't stay, stay afloat and alive and That's well. So, with Beluga Bean's growth, how many people were you trying to sort of? help per year. How do people sign up? Well, I just, as you were talking, I thought, oh, I forgot to say the most important thing was it's, it's a membership academy. Okay. So if you join, it's um, 30 pounds a month. We've tried to keep the price reasonable. Mm. You get the two connect breakfasts as part of that. And then you get discounts on classes and mentoring. So it's a membership academy that we're growing slowly. And we're not doing social, you know, I don't do what most people are doing. Yeah. It's really um, word of mouth and through the speaking I do, public speaking, that people come to us. And then you're getting people who are on the same page. It's not to say we won't do something in the future, but it's a slow burn. We're growing it slowly and working out how the website works and all of that. Right. So it's but a really nice For journey. people interested in, in memberships, it's belugabean.com? Yes, and, and what we do, which is a nice, thing to a nice way to experience it because if you don't know if you haven't connected with me or mm. Sam then it's like well what is it really yeah. is we do a first event free so if you go on to the Beluga Bean website and go into the calendar you'll see the events that are coming the life connects and the business connects and if you click through to Eventbrite at the till and type in first 
event free squished together with capital F E F mm -hmm. then you can come and try one and see if you like it see if it's supportive which is what it's the yeah. only thing it's really meant to do <laughs> yeah it, it was funny because I don't know how I'm on your email newsletter list but that's how I came up with the idea of reaching out and it was a really <laughs> it was a really useful one about so I was um uh, I'm on the advisory board for a company that is, I guess, tackling the the nursery issue with professional working oh, yeah. people in Canary Wharf. So they want to open on-site crash where if you work in Canary Wharf, you can drop it off and there'll be sort of... Drop it off. It off. <laughs> well, you don't want to assume it's gender in these yes. day and ages, right? So drop it off. Um, and then it's nearby. So you, I mean, how can you put a price on being able to see your kid at lunch break if you work in a oh, really big bank? Gosh, stuff like this. So yeah. this is all coming along. And, and the exact email that you sent across was about um, parenthood and work and stuff like that. And I was... I think it is a timely resource because I'm seeing on the other side how much it, these... I think there's a lot of good nurseries out there, but it seems like this has not been universally solved as an issue. Mm. There's still lots of questions for people around how we... Yes, absolutely. Because, I mean, that's a difficulty. I, there, there is a big drive towards female entrepreneurship at the moment, and I think that's obviously fantastic. But it, it can't avoid the elephant in the room that motherhood may sneak in and may be a factor that will have to come into play. And when I see my friends with their wives, often a lot of them are going, yeah, like, I'd, I'd love to sort of do something exciting and work for a startup but actually I'd much rather go somewhere that's got good mat leave mm. reliably will pay me will still be there in three years time and it's like well of course I can't blame you for making that choice mm. it's it's a big life decision and we can't keep pretending it's not I don't think anybody does pretend it's not but it's just it needs to be navigated with people who've got experience of trying to do both have a, a sort of viable opinion on it yes and I think until you have kids you have no idea really you have no idea it's so all-consuming. And I'm assuming they were not problem children especially. You just No, great kids. Yeah. But what you end up with is three human beings who need your care and attention. Mm. And although, you know, husbands can be great and dads can be great and my husband's great, yep. it, it falls on the woman m mainly. Mm. And... When I was 19 and had this kind of epiphany about meat, the meat industry and became a vegetarian, I also looked at, I thought about having children and I thought, I will never have children because I was aware of those six spheres of well-being that I've referenced and I thought, I cannot take responsibility for those six spheres for a human being. You know, yeah. you have to, if you want, if you parent that way, which I knew I would want to, because I know how I'm built, mm. look after their psychological, occupational, economic, spiritual, physical, you know, in sleep, rest, movement, nutrition. Oh my God, I thought I'll be a nervous wreck. You so when I, my husband and I, yeah, <laughs> when I married my husband, I said, I will never have children. If you want children, marry someone else. I, I'm terrified of that responsibility. I will not do that. I, so. I do think this in life. I think some people do things with an amazing, um, I don't know, they just, they just step into it, don't they? And it just happens and they go, I've, I've had kids and this is all happening. And yeah, I've always been reticent because I always think that there's a huge consequence. I can't just try marriage. I couldn't just try having kids. It's not something I will stumble into. You can't it's just, put them back. It's not the way my mind works. I always think of the consequences of what Return that... to sender. Yeah, I know. I, thought, I said that to my husband. What if I don't like them? Yeah. yeah. I can't... Well, there's many a father that's that's <laughs> run away from the home, but less so yeah. with, with mother figures. I think you guys have yeah. a sort of more dying loyalty. and Yeah. Um, we have the uterus. 
<laughs> yes. We are the caretakers. I mean, that's why it falls on the woman. Yeah. Well, and with this balance, are, are your kids entrepreneurially minded? My son is. Okay. My son is. He's running a tuck shop at school. Oh, nice. And he's making he's good money. His mates off. <laughs> I run he's, the He's snack undercutting machine, yeah. the school. Right. The school's tuck shop. And he's getting kids to trade up to healthier snacks. So oh, nice. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, nice. And I'm watching this thinking, <laughs> I said to him the other day, I said, you should just keep some notes on this because it's a really nice story and you're not writing anything down. He's yeah. having fun. But I said, just write a few things down. Like this year I made this much or this term and he is entrepreneurial. But he might get told off for that. No, the school knows. Oh, they know. That the oh. head of house is buying from him. <laughs> See, I did this with our, we had a snack machine in our, in our common room and I filled up six or seven layers with, with the, the, the stuff we'd, we shipped in from a housemaster and then went to Woolworths and there was, there was a bucket full of like 20p sweets <laughs> and I'd lined the bottom few shelves with, with my ones on it. And then when it came to the stock take and the, and the money, I'd be like, well, I paid like 35 pounds of inventory. I'm now owed my 47 pounds. So it would not affect, nobody would lose money. I just would use a store shelf. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't rewarded with encouragement or anything like that. In fact, that just, just got shut down. And oh, how funny. Well, Brian, my husband, has sat down with Nick's and done a spreadsheet for him so he can track purchases, margin, profit. So That's, That's the way to learn. That. I know. He's yeah. 14, so it's That's a really good learn. learning. Well, and with that in mind, do you, do you get encouragement from thinking, oh, uh, great, I'll shove them through the UCAS system and I'll get them to go to university? Or do you just say, actually, if you got to 18 and continue to be entrepreneurial, let them loose and go do something vocational and go a different path. I'm letting his life unfold. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I always say to the kids, I'm your support team. So I'll support you in any way. Mm. And you try and nurture and, you know, feed interests they have. Yeah. But we're, I'm watching it and seeing him develop. And, you know, and I've said, because he's doing GCSEs next year, so then it's A-level. I said, what are you thinking for A-level that is along these lines? And he is thinking business, finance, that kind of, so it's, it is that kind of direction. And I'm there to guide and question and probe and, you know, make him uncomfortable sometimes to make him to, which is what I do with entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's very interesting to see them grow up. I have to ask this probably before we move to the, the, the final questions. Um, what, do you, what do you feed your family? Generally, uh, I know it's difficult. We eat really well. But like we what? What does that look really like? Really well. Tell well, me. we don't eat meat. Right. Mm. We do eat fish now. My husband doesn't, but the kids do. And it's it's broad. It's whole grain. It follows the guidelines I set at Planet. You know, so no farmed fish. Organic, always organic. But even that. So I'm a real believer in not creating stress. Mm, and yeah. not making it awkward for other people. So I say to the kids, when you're at home, you eat really well. Follow the 80-20 rule. When you go out, don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, don't get freaky about because the last thing I want to do is create eating issues, mm. stress, difficulty for parents. So they, they don't worry about it. So they'll go out and they'll go to a party and they'll eat crappy chocolate or whatever. And, yeah. But they know the value of eating well and feeling well. And we eat, you know, I cook everything from scratch. I make all our, I make our bread. I make mm. whole meal, whole grain spelt and sourdough rye. Um, I bake our treats. I 
cook every day. I mean, I'm nuts. I'm, I'm mm, insane. No, no, you when I was getting um, burnt sausages. And I make pie. <laughs> so it's so, and we eat. You know, it's. I don't know how you say it in a short way, but you know, quinoa and spelt. There are things that I we don't eat, mm. like wheat and. Yeah meat things that i don't consider to be healthy yeah. foods but it's a very broad and varied diet and they're they're all different so my eldest has a phenomenal diet and she'll eat and try anything my youngest is really hard work right um and the second question i was going to ask was the role of the soil association what's the ongoing work there and how do you sort of define what their, their activity is Oh, what I do there. Yeah. So I was on, I was a trustee for a long time, and now I'm on the Catering Mark Standards Committee, which works on raising the standard of food in schools through the Food for Life program, which is genius. You know, you talk about what the schools should be teaching. I think they can't teach all the spheres of well-being, although some are really looking at entrepreneurship and home act, like in Scotland. Mm. But the Soul Association are putting in um, the Food for Life is about growing food, cooking food, understanding what that means. It's a whole curriculum way of approach, very holistic. And then they have the Catering Mark Standard, which is pushing the standard up for food from hospitals to caterers to universities. It's across the board. And that is amazing work because it's not about you have to eat organically mm. because it's a journey for people. It's about less processed, local, organic, fresh, seasonal. You know, it pulls in elements that are really important that people aren't necessarily thinking about. So that work I do is really important. That's my charitable work and the work I do for Garden Organic as well. well it's nice to know how much people care about this. Mm. <laughs> so we'd like to end with some quick fire questions that you may or may not have prepared for. Um, so the first one is a prediction for the future. I think we can make it better. And uh, a, a book that you'd recommend? Ah, Well, I'd have to say, I could list probably 20, but I think I would say The Sneetches by Dr. Seuss. I know. Nice. <laughs> and actually you did drop a couple of good books earlier, I noticed. And many books, yeah. yeah. And then also, your own books, just quickly, which what are some of the ones? Because this one came out in the last year or was coming? It was a couple of years ago. It's uh, What to Eat and How to Eat It. Okay. Because it was this idea that there are so many voices out there on the internet saying, eat this, don't eat that, eat this, don't eat that. But if you're looking for an authoritative voice on what to eat, so what you should eat more of, and it's not superfoods and such, it's broccoli and beans and beluga lentils and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, and how to eat it. Because... The other thing I meant to say about allergies is it's not just about those elements I mentioned, but also we're not, we don't always prepare food the way we should because it's all fast. It's fast food. And food needs to be prepared properly to be digestible and for us to assimilate the most from it that we can. So it's about how you prepare it. So when I do speaking, I, I used to say, and I often would say, who eats quinoa? And, you know, first there were a few hands. Now all the hands go up. And I say, who soaks it? Okay, and like two hands go up. Mm -hmm. So eat quinoa, yeah, but please soak it. So mm -hmm. it's how do you prepare the food to get the most value? And it's uh, it's 99 ingredients that you should eat more of. And then what to eat and how, um, sorry, Best Recipes for Babies and Toddlers was a weaning book I wrote. And then Me, You and the Kids too, which I really have a soft spot for. It's about when you're having kids, because when I had kids, I just cooked for the kids. And I think my husband and I lived on salad and bread. It's about cooking for the carers, whoever they are, 
and then pulling out ingredients and cooking for the weaning baby or slightly older baby from your meal, which is how we used to do it, I'm mm. sure, mm. in the olden days, and other countries still do it, but I, I didn't know how to do that. Interesting. Available on, on Amazon, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have dinner with anyone tonight, who would it be? My mom and dad, oh. who passed away. Is that for latent work, well, I guess, for loads of reasons, wisdom? Oh my gosh, because, yeah, because you think, oh, I've grown up now, I don't need them in the same way, or I don't need them anymore, or thank goodness I had them until I was this age. But then all the time you think, oh, God, now I'm this age, I wish I could ask my mom that. Or I'll pull a recipe out of hers, because my mom was a phenomenal cook and baker. And I'll think, when you say beat the this until thick or put it over the double boiler, how thick? like back of the spoon thick. Or, and I would just pick up the phone and say, Mom, you know, what would you do? Or I'd, you know, talk to my dad about something and they're not there and you realize you could, you, you'd love to have them forever. You always miss them. Mm. The, the, the missing them, the intensity of that eases. But the number of times I think, oh, Mom, you know, where yeah. are you? I wish I'd asked that. Or, um, yeah, so that would be unbelievable mm. to have dinner with them. Mm. I guess it's a reminder to to profit, uh, profit from that relationship while it's still available to you. Yes, mm. very much. Mm. Don't let that slip by. Mm. You'll never regret spending, spending time, spending more time with people you love. Yeah, I think that's pretty sage advice. That's very good advice. Um, then the last one is, what is the best advice you've given or, or received? I have a few. One is, so my dad said to me when I was little, not little, little, teenager, I think, he said, Renee, there's no reason you can't do what anyone else can do. And I remember being so struck by that statement because I didn't have the best education. I'm not the brightest bulb in the box. And he said, it doesn't matter. It's about determination. And he was right. And I believed him. I was naive enough to believe him. <laughs> and I absolutely believe that because I know, and it, it's funny because I thought this at the time, but now it has been proven. Angela Duckworth's book, grit, the power of mm. purpose and determination is phenomenal. It has been proven with the work that she's done and others that talent is great and talent is very seductive, but determination and grit win every time. Mm. So that was from my dad. The other is trust yourself, trust your gut. And I wish I'd been told that when I was little. And I tell my children that mm. because there's advice of well-meaning people, there's what you should do or what your head says you should do, but you listen to your intuition, your gut, that inner knowing, never steers me wrong. Well, and then the last question we'd like to ask is if there's anybody listening um, who can help you uh, in any particular direction or journey, what would that be? Oh, that's an interesting one. I think I would say come to a Connect breakfast at Beluga Bean and tell us what you think. Amazing. Come yeah. on us, come for free. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. It's been brilliant. Yeah, it's been fascinating. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Ray. That was fun. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike, M-I-C, or get us an email, audiored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.